Morning, how are we doing? Beautiful Sunday morning. Beautiful Sunday morning. We hope you had a good Shabbat, a good Shabbos, a wonderful weekend. Lots to talk about this morning. Endless, endless things to talk about this morning. You know, <clears throat> Israel is under its a very severe lockdown. The numbers keep on going up. The vaccine distribution is setting record highs and the numbers keep on going up. No one really has any explanation. Israel has a mask mandate. If there's anything any country could do, Israel is doing it. And yet we are told the numbers keep going up. That's uh, it's just reality, right? Just reality. How are we all doing? I hope you had a, a great weekend. The number to call in, 02579-TALK, 579-TALK, 579-TALK. This morning, we're going to start the morning off with a... A story that I think is somewhat can can bring some controversy. Little controversy. Comedian Sarah Silverman. She is a Jewish comedian. Last time I checked. She's a Jewish comedian. So she was asked about BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. BDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction. What is her What is her opinion of BDS? So this is an article coming out of Israel Hayom. Jewish comedian Sarah Silverman once again came under fire. Once again, she's known to be provocative, both in her, I'm not so familiar with her act, but the little I've heard, she's uh, she likes to say things that are going to provoke people. She's a provocateur in her, in her act. Jewish comedian Sarah Silverman once again came under fire for her views on Israel after posting controversial comments on social media that belittled the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Silverman shared her views on the anti-Israel movement through a podcast segment on her Instagram account, which has a following of some 2 million people. In the controversial segment, she said, I agree, 100% that criticizing Israel is not anti-Semitism. We criticize the U.S. all the time. I don't hate the U.S. I love it. It is not anti-Semitism to criticize a government. 
I'm fine with BDS as long as it's clear that you are boycotting a government and not a people. When that gets muddy, that's when it's scary. It's a little scary as a Jew. Listen, people like their Jews suffering. When Jews aren't suffering, when, God forbid, they're thriving, people don't like that. It's why we are so conditioned to complain. So that was Sarah Silverman's uh, comment that she made. Is she right? Is she right? Is there is there nothing wrong with criticizing Israel like criticizing any country? What's wrong with criticizing a country? Why is she right? Are we starting is there a knee jerk reaction she's wrong? What is the what do we have to say about this? Sarah Silverman, nothing wrong with criticizing a country. Well, I think one distinction between criticizing a country and BDS is BDS is not criticism. Criticism, as we said last week, criticism is the free expression of thought, free speech, when it remains an idea. The moment an idea now results, the moment an idea now results in in some sort of action being action taking place against the people you are attacking that's no longer free speech in the sense that that's not that's not the same or at least it's you know that's not the same conversation as just criticizing israel many people suffer many people suffer not just the israelis from bds so this is a very, to put it nicely, gently, a very naive approach. It's a very naive approach. BDS is just is just uh, criticism of Israel. Uh, 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 you know, just criticizing Israel. Am I wrong? If we are, if we, if we, if we believe in free speech to its to its to its furthest extent. Does that mean that BDS is is just an expression of free speech? Again, the American government, especially under the Trump administration, has passed, whether or not it's through executive order or, or legislation, that you're no longer allowed to receive a government contract if you are participating in BDS. BDS is destruct is destroying many parts of the uh, Arab labor force. So, you know, this isn't it's not it's not a it's not a positive thing. It's not a healthy thing. It's nothing. It doesn't it doesn't accomplish anything in the in the peace efforts. All it does, all it does, is it uh, it gives people who anyways want a reason to hate on Israel it gives the, it gives them an excuse so so this is this is uh you know look it's an, i think it's an interesting i think i think it's i think i think it's a, a, a like i said a very naive a very naive um 
a very naive approach. A very naive approach to put it to put it nicely. Very naive approach. But she's only a comedian, right? She's only a comedian. So we don't have to worry about too much of what she says. But at the same time, culture is a very important thing and she does shape culture. Two million followers, that's something. She gets she gets headlined on all sorts of different you know, uh, leftist comedic shows. So we can't we can't just ignore her as though she doesn't matter at all. But that doesn't mean that uh, we should take her too seriously. I don't take her too seriously. I saw a nice headline: Fox News ratings crash. Isn't that isn't that comforting? You know, right now, right now. All these different companies, you know, we talked we talked on Thursday about moral courage. All these companies that are coming out, they're no longer going to be contributing to Republican candidates. All their political money, their PACs, political political action committees, they're no longer going to be contributing to conservative uh, candidates. Now. You know, and this is really connected to the, to the Fox News ratings crash because people think – people take for granted the conservative market. Conservatives aren't mobilized to, you know, the left. The left will boycott. The left will boycott. The BDS movement can work on the left, but it's not going to work on the right. The right aren't mobilized. They're not – they're not uh, – um, Focused, you know, they they'll 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 just continue to buy whatever is convenient, whatever's on sale. They don't they don't pay attention to these things. Well, Fox News ratings crash. It's coming from Daily Wire. After years of dominating cable news, Fox News has found itself in an unfamiliar spot, the bottom of the ratings charts. Charts. Last week, for the first time since 2000, MSNBC and CNN topped Fox in viewership, capitalizing on huge numbers after the Georgia runoff and riots in D.C. That's their their words. According to ratings data, CNN topped cable networks with roughly 2.8 million views per day Hmm. between January 4th and January 10th with 4.2 million viewers in prime time. During that same time period, MSNBC had approximately 2.3 million viewers per day and 3.8 in prime time. Fox News, however, had just 1.7 million per day and 3.2 in prime time. Yahoo Finance reported that that Newsmax, a smaller rival to Fox News, saw its records at 443,000 for prime time. And its daily average is 294. As reported by the Daily Beast, on January 6th, the day of the riot, CNN averaged 5.941 million viewers. MSNBC averaged 4.53, and Fox News averaged 3.46. January 7th. So there's, there's, they see that there's a major decline in Fox News viewers. Why is that? Since the beginning of the century, Fox News has consistently, beginning of the century, that's it. We're, we're 20 years, 21 years, 20 years plus into the century. 
Since the beginning of the century, Fox News has consistently been the most watched and arguably the most influential cable news outlet by a mile, according to Mediaite, with viewers becoming accustomed to lengthy stretches in which the total combined viewership of CNN and MSNBC was less than the number of people turning into Fox. Tuning into Fox. In April of 2010, Mediaite even published a piece titled Fox News Ratings Dominance Hits Nice Round Number. 100 months at number one. However, for eight days in a row, Fox News has been in last place in the cable news ratings, with critics reporting on their sudden fall from the top spot. According to the Daily Beast, this this sudden post-election decline has driven Rupert Murdoch to take a more hands-on role. And then multiple network insiders have said that Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott and President Jay Wallace are fighting for their jobs. Salon, 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 yeah, it's a news... uh, (laughs) The news organization also reported on the left that Hannity, one of Fox News' biggest stars, was experiencing a three-to-one ratings loss against CNN as he follows Trump into post-election madness. With Fox News announcing a revamp of their daytime lineup on January 11th, these are turbulent and arguably unprecedented times for the conservative media giant. Describing the ratings battles facing Fox, Vanity Fair wrote the cable juggernauts programming shakeup with a right rotating cast of opinions hosts, opinion hosts replacing Martha McCallum at 7 p.m. Okay, can chip can chip away from the right, regardless of whether or not such issues are temporary. Competitors will be watching Fox News closely as Trump's presidency comes to an end and Biden's presidency is set to begin in just a few days' time. So this is this is a I think um, a, a brave moment because people are seeing that you can't take you can't take the conservative voice the conservative market for granted that's what this is telling us you can't take it for granted don't assume don't assume that just because don't assume just because you have the the top the top spot that's how it's going to stay don't assume that just because don't assume that just because the the conservative market hasn't hasn't rallied together, hasn't um, joined forces, and you know that doesn't mean that they're not going to. Conservative market, they understand that they have to take their business where people are going to be listening. That's 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 a, this, I think that's one of the messages. That this article is telling us Fox News has to take the learn learn the lesson, learn their lesson. Uh, the numbers ninety two percent of Republicans are against impeachment. Ninety two percent of Republicans are against impeachment. The amount of Democrats, I think it's over thirty percent, forty percent of Democrats, and I think we're seeing like that are against impeachment. <laughs> So I don't think that it's a smart move for them to move to the left. But you never know. You never know what they're going to do. That's what we're seeing these days. We're seeing we're seeing a uh people making people making decisions that just that don't even they don't even make sense. Why does Marriott now have to come out and say that they're not going to donate any money to the to the to, to political action conservative uh, cons- political action committees what's 
what's what's the what's the agenda? What, what what's the advantage of coming out now? It's not as though there's any there's any election coming up. What do, what do, what do all these companies have to gain? Goldman Sachs. What do all these companies have to gain other than their virtue signaling? What do these companies have to gain other than their virtue signaling? What do these companies have to gain? Why do it now? You're just alienating people. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to get your 15 minutes of fame. And that's it. And then you're going to you're going to have alienated half the country. What's the point? The answer is because they don't really believe that the conservatives will rally together, they will come together, because that's what they've seen, unfortunately. But I think the time I think the tides are changing. I think that conservatives definitely realize that if they don't if they don't start showing if they don't start showing their uh, the world that they they can be a a, a cohesive group a, a buyer a, a, a you know one market if they don't start showing them then then this is just going to continue. So I saw a tweet. I wanted to talk about this already last week, but there wasn't uh, there wasn't the time. I saw a tweet. I'm going to read the tweet. I would I would I would. I would get. I would venture to say, unless someone's heard this tweet, unless someone's heard this, saw this comment from this account, they will never guess. They will never guess who said this comment. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We have. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. Do we know who said this tweet? Well, I'll give you, I'll give it to you. Murderer Andrew Cuomo said this tweet. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. We must the cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must open the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. To which top comment is, thank you, a true leader. Get the vaccine to the masses. But my favorite comment was the next comment. This is great. Are you a troll? She's trolling, right? She has to be. See, that? that's it. That says it all all, all you need to know. The next person, you must be a troll, but you can't really call Murderer Cuomo a, a leader. It's amazing. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. Mass. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy smartly and safely. Except that, unfortunately, it might be too little, too late. The amount of damage that's been done. We have damage that's been done to the to the New York restaurant scene. It, it might be irreparable. It might just be irreparable. It's a very sad thought. It's a very sad thought. But you know, there are just too many too many restaurants. Like I, I know I know I know individuals who own multiple restaurants in the New York area. When New York went up to 15, I think it was $15 minimum wage, and they had $15 minimum wage. When they went up, 
as they increased their minimum wage, one restaurateur told me he closed three restaurants. The restaurant market in, in New York is a, is more is more challenging than other areas, and everyone knows that the restaurants are um, are very are very uh, have a lot of overhead. They have a very it's a very slim profiting industry. Very there's very small profits to be made in restaurants, so you can imagine these types of closures are a nail in a coffin. There's very little to come out, very little way to come out of these restaurants. I heard, very sad, I heard that the lady, Ashley Babbitt, who was murdered by, uh, by, killed, killed, maybe I won't say murdered, I don't know, I don't know, uh, by the Capitol Police during the uh, incursion, there's a word, the president used, incursion, I like that word, he called it incursion, and he called it calamity. He refused to use the left's words to describe that day. Incursion. For all those who who didn't listen or who missed it, he refused to use any other word. He didn't use any riot, insurrection. He didn't use anything. He didn't use anything. He just said, I think he's an incursion and calamity. So he said, so, so she, this lady had taken out a loan in order to keep her business going. I think she was in the pool, something in the pool, like in, 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 in pool cleaning, I think maybe. She took out a loan of 169% interest just to keep her business going. Yeah, you know what? That, that could have been a com- contributing factor to her attitude towards this election. You know, it could be, it could be that aside from her patriotism, it could be aside from her love for the country, you know, she saw the president as the only salvation, the only savior to the current economic issues that have been uh, brought on by her governor. I can understand that. It's sad. Unfortunately, you know, there's, there's a, there, is, there is a reason to think that. There is a reason to think that. It's a very sad thing. It's a very sad thing. But here you have people like this, Andrew Cuomo, murderer Cuomo of, of of the murderer of New York as he talks about how we have to reopen. We have to reopen. Could you imagine? This is a man who's kept his state closed for 10 months while he encouraged everyone to go to this, you know, to out. He encouraged everyone um, to go out to eat at the restaurants back in March. When he was belittling the whole thing, he was he's kept his state closed for ten months. Very sad. Very sad. It's very sad what he's done. Very sad what he's done. But these are the people that the that are being uh, given the spotlight. He received a, an international Emmy, whatever that is, whatever that's worth, international Emmy. He received an international Emmy for his press conferences. Very sad. Very sad. So I saw a, uh, an article that I think should uh, should 
remind us exactly what, you know, for anyone who has too much faith in Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin is considered to be the, was going to be the saving grace of the Senate. Joe Manchin is considered to be a moderate, a, a moderate senator. Joe Manchin is considered to be a moderate senator. And so he's the, he's the senator of uh, West Virginia, I believe. And he knows that he, he does have, if he wants to keep his seat, he does have to, if he wants to keep his seat. I don't know. I remember hearing that he's not going to be running in the next election. But regardless, he's, he considers himself to be a, or a moderate conservative Democrat. <laughs> Whatever that means. So I saw this. Joe Manchin says that Senate should consider removing Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz under the 14th Amendment. It's coming out of the blaze. Democrat Senator Joe Manchin said in an interview this week that he believes the Senate should consider removing GOP Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, arguing the Republicans were complicit in insurrection when they objected to certifying some electoral college votes the same day a pro-Trump mob attacked the Capitol in protest of the election results. In an interview posted Friday, PBS Firing Line host Margaret Hoover asked Manchin, would you support, Senator, the removal of Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz to the Fourth Amendment, Section 3? Well, they should look, absolutely. Basically, that should be a consideration. Manchin replied, adding, he understands that Ted's a very bright individual and I get along fine with Ted. But what he did was totally outside the realm of our responsibilities or our privilege that we have. Hoover had reminded her audience that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment reads, No person shall be a senator or a representative in Congress who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress to support the Constitution of the United States, shall engage in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Amazing, eh? Amazing that this is what they're being accused of. What exactly is the crime that Holly and Cruz are guilty of? In the last in the last election, 2016, there were far more Democrats who protested the electoral college vote than Republicans did this round. Far more. Not even close. So, why are Holly and Cruz under under fire? Why are Holly and Cruz under fire? All they did was they fulfilled their their they fulfilled their responsibilities as senators. That's all they did. They didn't do anything wrong. Why are we why are we looking at them? Why are we looking at them as though as though they are in somehow complicit in the in in what in what happened at the Capitol? You see, that's where the messaging of the left that's what the messaging of the left. That's what they've done. If you believe, see, since we'll go back one step. Since 
the election was fair. Since the election was fair, if you believe that the election, if you claim that the election wasn't fair, then you are directly responsible for the vi- for the violence that occurred at at the capital that is the logic since it was fair and the same logic the same logic applies seemingly to the other side right since they believe that there is inequality so therefore everything is justified in the name of inequality but since they don't believe that the that the that the election was was rigged was fraudulent they don't believe that they know it they don't have to believe it there's no need for belief when you know when you have when you have knowledge you know they don't have to believe it they know it to be true so there's no so there's no there's no uh since they be, since they believe since 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 excuse me but in the, the argument of of the inequality the inequality all of the violence that was perpetrated against um during the during the Antifa riots that's all justified that's all justified because the, the this inequality is a, is a, is a is a real issue but since there is no voter fraud so holly and cruz holly and cruz are just contributing to some sort of of insurrection that that's why they should be ousted That's why they should be ousted. It's uh, it, you, you, we have to understand this logic. We have to understand this logic. It's a very, it's a very fret. You know, it's 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 pathetic. Really, it's really pathetic. It's really pathetic. I want to read this article before I before I forget it. I, I have this article here. Cuomo softens restrictions on dining, but it's. Too little, too late. After nearly a year of fluctuating restrictions, New York governor's New York's murderer Andrew Cuomo announced his plan to expand rapid testing in an effort to reopen restaurants. The press conference is Tuesday. Governor declared his intention to breathe life back into his state. New York will be New York again. Then, just a day later, restaurants in designated orange COVID zones will be permitted to resume indoor dining. While this is no doubt encouraging news for restauranteurs, restaurateurs. Cuomo's sudden interest in their industry, in their industry's vitality, is too little, too late. As we close in on nearly a year of lockdown, the governor's change of heart will do nothing to recuperate months of losses, nor will it, will it resuscitate the ever-growing list of businesses who close their doors permanently as a result of despotic restrictions. Tragically, New York is just one example of what is happening to the restaurant industry around the world. I was speaking to somebody Friday. And he said, Ellie, you know, a lot of people tell me, Ellie, we're going to see a, such a boom, such a, such a boom in tourism in Israel. I, and, I, and, I, and I told him, I said, look, I want it more than you do. But the reality is that to, 
to open up is not the only solution. To open up is not the only solution because people have to have the confidence. People have to have the confidence that what has been done this year will never happen again. Otherwise, why would they make the investment? Why would they take that risk knowing that nothing, that nothing is stopping it from happening again? And nothing is stopping, stopping the, the leaders of the world. The moment they see any sort of a virus spring up in one country, they're just going to potentially stop that country from entering. Who knows? Who knows what they could do? And therefore, the confidence is shot. The confidence is, the confidence is shot. It's a very, people don't, people don't understand this. People think, oh yeah, we'll just reopen. No, this was all true when the conversation was 15 days to flatten the curve. When there was a conversation 15 days to flatten the curve, so yeah, so, you know, let's compensate and move on. Let's compensate, let's compensate, let's do what we have to do and let's move on. But unfortunately, unfortunately, when you're 10 months into something and the writing is on the wall as to how how we are going to be addressing these sort of issues going forward, so then why will somebody take that risk? Why will somebody take that risk and incur, potentially incur tremendous debt? Why is it worth it? Why is it worth it? I think it's um I think we have to we have to realize that it, people might very well uh might not people might very well not take that risk. You know, restaurants, who knows what it is? Restaurants, hotels, all sorts of uh people have to have confidence. People don't realize how this works. You need to have confidence. You have confidence. So, just because Cuomo was going to soften up his regula- his, his soften, up, soften up the uh, regulations, soften, soften up the guidelines in order to let the in order to let the restaurants um, open up, it's not necessarily enough. It might be enough for the restaurants that have been able to hold on to open up. That could be. But for a boom, for a boom, for him to say New York is going to be New York again, unless New York sees some major change in its leadership, New York isn't going to be New York anytime soon. If ever. Because people don't have confidence. People don't have confidence in New York. A very uh very serious issue. Very serious issue. So there's there's been, you know there's an article that's getting some some, some traction 
this is coming out of New York Post, but I've seen it in, in multiple different multiple different sites. Twenty three die in Norway after receiving Pfizer COVID nineteen vaccine. Twenty three people died in Norway within days of receiving their first dose of the Pfizer COVID nineteen vaccine. With thirteen of those deaths, all nursing home patients apparently related to the side effects of the shots, health officials said. Common reaction to the vaccine, including fever and nausea, may have contributed to a fatal outcome in some frail patients. Sigurd, Sigurd Hortemo, chief physician at the Norwegian Medicines Agency, said in a Friday statement, all 13 were nursing home patients and at least 80 years old. While officials aren't expressing serious concern, they are adjusting their guidance on who should receive the vaccine. The news comes just over a week after officials reported the deaths of just two nursing home residents after they received the Pfizer jab. More than 30,000 people in Norway have received the first shot of the Pfizer or Moderna coronavirus vaccine in the Scandinavian country since late last month, according to official figures. We are not alarmed by this, Steinar Madsen medical director with the agency told Norwegian broadcaster NRK. It is quite clear that these vaccines have very little risk, with a small exception for the frailest patients. Doctors must now carefully consider who should be vaccinated, he added. Those who are very frail and at the very end of life can be vaccinated after an individual assessment. The agency reported Thursday with a total of 29 people Total of that a total, a total of 29 people had suffered side effects, including the 13 who died. 21 women and eight men experienced side effects, officials said. Besides those who died, nine had serious side effects, including allergic reactions, strong discomfort, and severe fever, while seven had less serious ones, including severe pain at the injection site. In total, more than 57,000 cases and 500 coronavirus-related deaths have been reported in Norway, according to Johns Hopkins University. Health officials noted that around 400 people die each week in the nursing home population. A Pfizer rep said the pharmaceutical giant is aware of reported deaths. Following the administration of the vaccine in Norway, it is working with the Norwegian Norwegian Medicines Agency, yes, that's their socialist medical, uh, to gather all relevant information. Norwegian authorities have prioritized the immunization of residents in nursing homes, most of them are very elderly with underlying conditions, medical conditions, and some who are terminally ill. A spokeswoman said in a statement, the number of incidents so far is not alarming and in line with expectation. (laughs) Officials said common side effects of the vaccine, including fever and nausea, may have contributed to the deaths. All reported deaths will be thoroughly evaluated by the agency to determine if these incidents are related to the vaccine, she added. The Norwegian government will also consider adjusting the vaccination instructions to take the patient's health into more consideration. Well, I mean, since it was expected, that's what, isn't that what they basically said? We're not alarmed by this. We're not alarmed by this. It's quite clear these vaccines have very little risk, with a small exception for the frailest patients. But what would the virus have done to these people? Would it have automatically killed them? No doubt. No doubt it automatically would have killed them. No question. That's why they took their chances and gave them a, a vaccine. Because surely not giving them a vaccine, they would have gotten the virus. They would have just, they would have died for no question. 
So, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, we can't, we can't obviously acknowledge what we know is true. That's the point. We can't obviously acknowledge what we know is true. We know that what we know is true is that just because, just because, uh, you, you get the virus doesn't mean that you die. So giving it to these people where they say they knew that it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, they were very frail and they knew it could have been a serious risk. But yet we give the, we give the vaccine because the vaccine is 100% safe. The virus is 100% dangerous and the vaccine is 100% safe. And don't dare question that. Don't dare question that. Now, if we were trying to remain consistent, even beyond the fact of whether or not this vaccine is the right thing to do, we know that in Florida, look, Israel, we talked about Israel is, 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 uh, at the top of the list of countries that are vaccinating their people. They say that there are over 2 million people, I think, that have already been vaccinated. And they claim that as soon as the country reaches 6 million, they will start to ease the restrictions. Ease the restrictions. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know what that means that they're they're going to uh, stop the restrictions. I've been noticing all sorts of people that are getting the virus. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Rabbi Lau, the former chief, chief Israel chief rabbi of Israel, should have a refuah shleima. Should he should get he should have a complete recovery. But he he is uh, he got the second dose last week, and he's now he now has symptoms. It's assumed he got it from his wife, who apparently has symptoms. So, despite getting the vaccine, he now has the virus. Uh, you know, it's uh, just, just you know. But thank God he's doing okay. He's in his, he's in his eighties, in his eighties, I believe, upper eighties. He's a survivor, right? He was a child, child survivor. So he's in his upper eighties, I think. Um, I think so. I think he's in upper eighties. Could check it out, but anyways, he um, he did has so 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 the country said that it, once it hits six million vaccine distri- uh, uh, six million vaccine distributions, they're going to start to really uh, ease things up. But we shouldn't expect that to happen really before March. So that means we're going to be in this state of lockdown until March. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Meanwhile, the glorious governor. My favorite state, at least from the governor's perspective, when you evaluate governors, my favorite state is South Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota becomes the leading example of vaccine distribution. This is, this is a lady, Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota. She is never, ever locked down her state. She was criticized from today to tomorrow. She said, information is the key. She is going to give her state all the information. She was one of the first to start dealing with the with the with the virus. As soon as she saw where what was happening with it, early early stages in Feb in January February, she was already preparing for the for the inevitability not of lockdown because who would have thought that, but of 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 a virus coming to her state. She's been on the phone. Doctors have said that she's, you know, that she was the only governor who was, who, she, she was the most hands-on governor. You know, 
It's not as it's not as though South Dakota is the largest population. But to her, it doesn't matter. This is her this is her responsibility. She takes it very seriously. She takes it very seriously. And so she never locked down. She never locked down. Instead, she just encouraged people to take whatever measures were necessary for them, to have all the information that they needed. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. So, but meanwhile, South Dakota becomes leading example of vaccine distribution. South Dakota state that weathered months of criticism. This is coming out of the Washington Examiner. Months of criticism uh, from the media and Democrats for how it handled the COVID-19 epidemic has become a model for vaccine distribution while other states struggle. According to the latest data from CDC, South Dakota is the third most successful state in administering its provided coronavirus vaccines following West Virginia and neighboring North Dakota. South Dakota has given, South Dakota has given 5.73 doses per thousand people. Over 51,000 total doses administered. In comparison, states with some of the harshest COVID-19 lockdown policies are significantly lagging behind. California has administered just 2.26 doses per thousand people. And Minnesota has given 2.93 per thousand people. One state health official spoke to the Washington Examiner, but asked to remain unnamed, credited the state's cooperation with local healthcare providers and streamlining communication between the government and those tasked with administering the vaccine. We don't just have the same kind of bureaucracy here, I guess, the individual said. We are small, sure, but we knew what to do. South Dakota's rate of inoculating its residents far exceeds the national average, which currently hovers around 3.5 doses per thousand people. The state also has used significantly higher percentage of its allocated vaccines, 57.4%. See, this is also one of the, the travesties is how few vaccines are being used. We talked about this. New York is is wasting its vaccines. New York is absolutely, it's wasting its vaccines. California, in contrast, has only used 25.9% of its administered vaccines. Meaning that nearly, that the state still has nearly 2.5 million vaccines sitting in various hospitals and healthcare facilities. New York City, which is lagging behind the state, has administered 33.8% of its vaccines and has over half a million still waiting in storage. It's unbelievable. Christy Noem became a lightning rod for attacks this spring and summer after she vowed to never shut down state businesses or implement strict social distancing rules. An ally of President Trump known said that her state would prize personal decision-making over mask mandates and other laws to limit the spread of the virus. Decision-making. To think that people could could actually make decisions for themselves? Such, such heresy. I don't even know where she comes up with this concept that people can make decisions for themselves. I took an oath when I was in Congress, obviously to uphold the Constitution of, of the United States, she told Fox News in April. I believe in our freedoms and liberties. What I've seen across the country is so many people give up their liberties for just a little bit of security, and they don't have to do that. 
that hands-off policy came with significant drawbacks for critics, say. For months, South Dakota's positivity and death rates from the coronavirus were some of the worst in the country. At one point in December, South Dakota's fatality rate was one for every 19,000 residents, meaning that if the state's fatality rate was extrapolated nationwide, the country could be seeing tens of thousands, if not more, deaths a day. The state's COVID-19 death toll currently sits at 1,614. I love how they do that. They take a very, very uh, uh, um, small uh, sample, and then they extrapolate it. Because the entire country is the same, and the entire world is the same. There's no difference. And in fact, I'm sure exactly where that particular death toll was you know was rising that was also the same everything's the same there are no differences we're all the same since the late fall and winter spike south dakota has been seen its cases steadily drop on wednesday the state recorded 452 new positive tests compared to a 30-day high of 905 on december 16th what accounts for the drop-off public officials aren't sure Although when vaccines were first cleared by the FDA in December, South Dakota was briefly the number one state in administering doses. Although a clear red versus blue state divide has yet to emerge in the efficiency of vaccine distribution, South Dakota has been credited with avoiding any new sweeping government policies to vaccinate its residents, whereas governors such as Cuomo of New York have implemented strict regulations on how and who can receive a vaccine. Nome has opted to use existing delivery methods. This is, you know, we didn't really talk about it. We were we're not we weren't on air. I want to just talk about this because we have an opportunity here in the last few minutes. We always like to bring up this conversation, but unfortunately, there were um, there was some criticism of. I don't know what's happened with the story since then. I'm, I haven't really followed it. Could be, could be nothing's happened to it, but it really is connected. In New York, there were a couple of rabbis back a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, who were the first to get the vaccine, and of course they took the opportunity for the photo shot. And and this and the story, you know, they, 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 these two rabbis. I'm not going to mention who they are, but. Um, those who know the story know the story. Those who don't know the story don't know the story. But their the clinic that they got the vaccine went on, we came under investigation. How did you, you know, why were you giving it to these two rabbis, these two individuals? Now it happened to be, I, I do believe they're over 70. So it's not as though they shouldn't have received it. But nonetheless, nonetheless, it was against the rules of New York to give it to, to give it to, these two rabbis, there was they didn't fit any under any guidelines as to receiving this vaccine. So the response from these two were that the two were, were that um, they weren't they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. You know they didn't they weren't they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. What was wrong with uh, with um, taking the vaccine? What was wrong with taking the vaccine? They on the contrary, I, I think that they. That they thought they were they were actually doing something good because they were encouraging you know they're two public public individuals you know have a, have a large public profile and they 
with through their photo shoots, through their um, their uh, encouragement of the vaccine, more people are going to take the vaccine. So wasn't it a good thing? I honestly don't think that they thought that anything bad could come of this decision to take the vaccine. But I also don't know if they thought through taking the vaccine. See, when when we're when the moment we are focused on virtue signaling, the moment we are focused on on you know how we're going to look in the public eye, and I'm I'm sure that they really did have they really did have good intentions. I'm sure. But such is the such are the drawbacks of celebrity status. When a person is 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 searching for that celebrity status, when a person is yearning for that celebrity status, there are negative consequences to that. Not everything is is glory in the in the life of a celebrity. Sometimes you come under fire for things that you do as a celebrity, and these are all things that, especially as great of the minds as they are. At least, you know, we assume that they are. That they should have thought through every step. Well, are we being given? Are we being given this vaccine? Is it following every protocol? Is it following every guideline? Are we first to get it? You know, this was. I understand they were trying to build public confidence. I understand what they were doing. But when you, but if a person is being intellectually honest with himself. And he realizes that his virtue signaling is part is part of this decision, then perhaps then perhaps he might have realized that there could be some negative consequences as well. And in fact, you know, this uh, brought a negative light. It brought a negative light. Oh, these you know, and I'm I'm not saying that this is legitimate. I'm just telling. I'm just you know recalling. I don't even have the article in front of me, but I'm recalling the attitude. The attitude at the time was you know that these they they skipped the line. They skipped the line. Now, on on any objective standard, of course they should have received it potentially, right? I mean they're over seventy. They're you know they have a public profile. They could have you know which means that they're going to be able to instill confidence. Plus. They see they they have to be around more people, so they have maybe a potentially higher risk. I'm not I'm not saying that they didn't do that they did anything wrong, but based on their system that they've all bought into, and they've all bought into it. They've all we're not going to get into these topics today, but they've all bought into this idea of of intellectualism. They've all bought into the universe, you know, the idea of of, of idolizing you know, universities. They've, that's that's the industry that they work in. So in their industry, they should have realized. And and unfortunately, they don't. They, you know, they 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 don't. While while they may have voted for for Hillary and 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 Harris, who knows? But they they don't. The the Orthodox are definitely considered to be on the right today. Um, and you know that's 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 definitely how the statistics show that their vote goes. Just like in Israel, uh, you know that they that they ally with Bibi. So. You know they should have they, they they should have calculated all these steps along the way is the point. They should have made all these calculations. The fact that they didn't 
I believe came from their yearning, their desire to show everyone how virtuous they are, how, 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 you know, we have to take this vaccine. The vaccine is great. We have to take this vaccine. You know, there's whatever the different components there. Unfortunately, when, when, when that is the focus, when that is the focus, so we, we tend to gloss over the potential negative side effects. And there are side effects to taking the vaccine. That's been our show today. That's been our show today. I'm Ellie Shapiro. And, uh, we look forward to, we look forward to, uh, our, uh, coming, joining you again tomorrow. We look forward to, to joining you.